it was my late wife's painting, and that was very important painting to her. We were collecting Bloomsbury art, and it was she who was very drawn to the painting because it came directly from Virginia Woolf. This is the Virginia Woolf podcast, which is made in association with Literature Cambridge. My name is Dr. Karini Yakubovic, and in this series, I discuss one of our greatest writers with a host of fascinating guests, all of whom are united by one thing. They're all fans of Virginia Woolf. It's June 2023. Now, this is a month that I've been looking forward to for some time because it marks 100 years since Clarissa Dalloway walked out of her front door and bought the flowers herself. Wolfe started the novel at the end of 1922, and I love the fact that on a Wednesday in the middle of June 1923, just as Mrs Dalloway the book was getting underway, so Mrs Dalloway the character was making preparations for her famous party. Indeed, the short story Mrs Dalloway in Bond Street, a sketch written in preparation for the novel, had been finished by this time and was published in The Dial in July 1923. There's something really fun about that synchronicity. It's a little bit like a waltz between the author and her protagonist, Wolf is writing Clarissa into being and at the same time Clarissa is declaring herself through her party and in the end they both succeed as the last lines of the novel read for there she was. All of that got me thinking about the possible origins of Mrs Dalloway and about an unresolved mystery that I discovered when I was still a PhD student. About five years ago, I received an email stating that a playwright named Howard Ginsberg was selling a collection of paintings and prints by Roger Fry, Duncan Grant and Vanessa Bell. Now, I didn't actually have any money to buy anything, but I was really curious. And so I contacted him for a price list. One painting on that list was particularly intriguing. It was by Vanessa Bell and the title was Mrs Dalloway's party. And this had long presented a mystery to Howard. It presented a mystery to me too, because we both knew that Wolfe started Mrs Dalloway in October 1922. Yet this painting was dated 1920. Even more strange was the fact that the painting had apparently belonged to Virginia Woolf and had been found in the attic of Monk's house despite the fact that no such attic actually exists. So it's clear that Vanessa and Virginia were both inspired by parties at around the same time. And that in itself is quite interesting for me. But some questions do remain. Did Vanessa's work on this subject inspire Wolf? Was the painting really called Mrs Dalloway's party? And if so, how does that connect to the novel? And finally, where and why was the painting hidden away? I spoke to Howard Ginsberg and the best-selling author of Bloomsbury Pie, Regina Marler, about this enigma. It was my late wife's painting, and that was a very important painting to her. We were collecting Bloomsbury art, mostly from Anthony Dauphay, who was handling the estates of Virginia Woolf and Leggett Woolf and Quentin Bell and some other people connected with Bloomsbury. 
And it was she who was very drawn to the painting because it came directly from Virginia Woolf. And because even at the first glance, it was this mysterious painting, because if you know anything about Vanessa Bell, you know that she never painted stories. She always painted still lives, occasionally portraits, occasionally abstract, but never a story. So it was a, a startling painting by Vanessa Bell. And we were able to convince Anthony Dauphay to give us the painting rather than offer it to the Metropolitan, who bought several other paintings. This is Anthony Dauphay, who's the famous art dealer, partly responsible for the Bloomsbury revival, really, because he started selling all of these brilliant paintings and, and bringing them to the public view so that they were taken seriously, really, for the first time since their first exhibitions, since their first showings. Howard, you mentioned that the painting looked like a story. Could you tell me what that story is? Well, first of all, to visualize it, it's a little less than three feet tall and two feet, two and a half feet wide. It shows a party scene. And uh, there's a dominant woman in the center, has extreme décolletage. She's almost falling out of her dress. And she's focusing on a young woman who's seated next to her, who has a bare shoulders. There's a, a man in black turning and walking away. And the suggestion is that the three of them had some dramatic confrontation and that the woman has rejected the man and is focused on the woman. But that's all conjecture. But what we see is that the actual interaction between the three dominant figures. And there are four other people in the background, but they just add to the party atmosphere. It was an immediate mystery. Why did Vanessa Bell paint a painting like this? And uh, what is the painting about? Yes, and I agree there's a lot of movement here, more so perhaps than, than we would associate with Bell, who painted a lot of still lifes. And this one certainly has some drama in it. There's a lot of interaction in it. And I think the statuesque woman in the middle is so imposing, the way that she's looking down at this, we assume, a party guest next to her. She immediately seems to be the hostess, speaking to, to one of her guests there with a crowd collecting around her shoulders. It's really vibrant. When you saw it in 1983, what was the title of that painting? Well, Anthony Dauphay gave us a title of Mrs. Dalloway's Party. But uh, when it was first exhibited, which was in 1922, 61 years prior, it was called The Party, Just The Party. So it's not clear who changed the title, whether Dauphay did or Virginia Woolf did or Quentin Bell did. So this is part of the wonderful mystery behind the painting, that it has this title that it was given, Mrs. Dalloway's Party. We know it was exhibited once under the title The Party, and yet it was painted, I mean, the date on the painting is 1920, which is quite some time, a good two years before Virginia Woolf starts to write Mrs. Dalloway. So that presents something of a mystery. Is this a mystery that's intrigued you at all, Howard? Yes, yes. 
it's on the painting itself, the date, 1920, which was unusual, again, for Vanessa Bell. And uh, she did not show it to anyone for two years, when then she put it on exhibition with the London Group exhibition, and uh, it was not for sale. So it was unusual. Why did she wait two years, and why was it not for sale? And you mentioned earlier that it came directly from Virginia Woolf. Could you tell me more about that? Between its showing in 1922 and our purchase, Barbara's purchase in 1983, there is absolutely no record of where it went since it came from her estate. It obviously went to Virginia Woolf. But it's so strange that no one has written a word about this painting given all the letters that Virginia Woolf writes, you know, Virginia Woolf would write six, seven, eight letters a day and uh, keep the IRA entries and, and no one mentions this painting. Isn't there one mention, you, you thought that Duncan had mentioned it once in a letter to Vanessa? Yes, thank you for reminding me. I've done a lot of research and gone through the archives of the tape and there's one letter only in which Duncan Grant, her partner and co-painter, said that they came by to take a picture of the painting. And he said it, it was very good, and he's going to prepare a frame for it. But that's the only written reference to the painting from 1922-1983. And then there was a rumour that it was found in Virginia Woolf's attic. This is the story that I first remember hearing. I met Barbara and Howard at one of the parties that another Bloomsbury art dealer, Tony Bradshaw, used to throw when he came to San Francisco. He would bring a handful of small works and he would invite everyone in the Bay Area who was on his mailing list. And that included um, scholars like Peter Stansky and collectors like, like Barbara and Howard and so forth. So we hosted one of these because we knew Tony and the Ginsburgs came and our, our friendship dates dates from that. And I remember coming to their home for the first time and, and seeing their Bloomsbury art, which was wonderful. And, and this was the centerpiece of the collection. And um, it still hangs where it hung at that time in the living room. What I see when I look at this are three, at least three conversational groups, which is something that Vanessa did in her figurative work. And she was also doing around this time. So in the in the foreground, we have the two women speaking, one of whom very strongly resembles Mary Hutchinson. I think that, you know, the other scholars that that Howard has consulted agree that it, it does seem to be her. And then uh, there's the shoulder of a man behind. He may be in his own conversational group. And there is a, a, a man and a woman speaking in the background, an older man and a seated woman over the shoulder of the central female figure is a man who's turned away. And Barbara would refer to him as, as Septimus, although, of course, he couldn't be Septimus Smith. He wasn't at the party and the, the book hadn't been written yet. But there is a darkness and a mystery to this figure. He also looks from the back, he looks a little bit like Duncan Grant. And it was possibly, possibly there was a, the photo hanging around that Vanessa used for that. There is the edge of a skirt on the far right of the image. And I believe that rather than walking, this man may be turned and speaking to a woman who is out of frame. 
And then in the far back, there is another figure to group, another conversational group of two women, two seated women. You know, it's you could picture it as a Bloomsbury party, perhaps in the back, perhaps that's Vanessa and Virginia, you know, uh, stealing a moment alone together as, you know, fellow fellow introverts at uh, at a big bash and Mary Hutchinson in the foreground. Hard to say, but as unusual as this painting is for Vanessa, there is that element of the conversational group that's familiar. Regina, I love the way that you talk about this painting. It's with with such a lot of affection and insight. (laughs) And I should explain to the listeners that you've been working on the work of Vanessa Bell since you were a graduate student. You, You were chosen to edit her selected letters, so you know her life and work really intimately. What do you make of the possibility that Vanessa Bell and and her art is influencing Virginia Woolf in some way at this time? Oh, I love it. It's a wonderful idea. You know, we, Howard and I have been talking, we've been speculating for years about this painting and what it, uh, what it may and may not signify. Oh, it's a, it's a great pleasure to have something so unusual to think about. You know, I've been, I've been several times through the letters, both the published letters, the selected letters of Vanessa Bell that I published in the early 90s, and the unpublished letters, most of which I have, you know, photocopies or, or I have them on microfilm or something at, at home. But I think sometimes about, about what's been written about quite a lot, of course, you know, the relationship between Vanessa and Virginia and their feelings about each other's art and their competitiveness and how they resolved that in some ways by by having always you know chosen such you know such different but related fields. You mentioned Mary Hutchinson being in the painting, and I think you're right. I mean, as far as I can see, this is Mary Hutchinson. Now, Mary Hutchinson is the lover of Clive Bell, who's Vanessa Bell's husband. So it's quite interesting that Vanessa Bell should choose to picture this woman. Looking at the painting, as you've described, it really puts me in the mind of a party that Vanessa Bell held in August 1920. And Virginia Woolf remembers that Mary Hutchinson was there. Woolf writes, my chief pirouetting at the party was with Mary, whose hand I took and held and kissed on the sofa with Clive on the other side of me. (laughs) And for me, that sums it up so, so nicely, this strange collection of people not all of whom got on, but who are sort of pirouetting, circling around one another. It's strange to think that only one week previously, Vanessa had been to a party held by Mrs. Russell, this is Bertrand Russell's first wife, where a young man falls to his death in the middle of the party. I thought I'd read that very briefly because it, it strikes me as being interesting. Wolf writes, she wasn't at the party, by the way. She's she's writing this from what Vanessa's told her. He crossed, perhaps to light a cigarette, stepped over the edge and fell 30 feet onto the flagstones. Adrian alone saw the thing happen. He called a doctor sitting there and very calmly and bravely, so Nessa felt, climbed the wall into the garden where the man had fallen and helped the doctor over. But there was no hope. He died in the ambulance that fetched him. The dance was stopped. Nessa says the younger generation is callous. No one was upset. Some telephoned for news of other dances. Aunt Lou bungled everything with her salt American cheerfulness. It was odd how, sitting high up, one began to get a sense of falling. 
The man was called Wright, age 21. For some reason, he had his birth certificate on him. And then Wolf goes on to write, a strange event to come to a dance amongst strangers and die, to come dressed in evening clothes and then for it all to be over, which seems so clearly to anticipate what she then touches on many years later, even as Mrs. Dalloway is being published, she's still thinking about this notion of party consciousness, the way that we we think in these environments, which sort of resists the real world or runs counter to the realities of death Absolutely. In, in a jarring way. The vein of, of tragedy that runs through the party, it changes everything. And of course, you have some of that again very soon you know, after in in Mrs. Dalloway. Howard writes plays also, and his imagination has been very stimulated by the painting. And you have a play, Howard, tell us something about that. Yeah, I wrote a full-length play. It was finished during the pandemic, and there was no way it was going to get produced. So I adapted it to a 60-minute video version. It's a fictional couple who get the picture the essence of the story is the same as the reality, but I fictionalized it, and that's going to be produced in the next month or two, and they're going to put it on uh, YouTube afterwards. And in the play, do you address the mystery of the painting's disappearance from the record? Yeah, yeah. I have a theory as to what happened to the painting that comes out in the play. It's a improbable theory, but there's some slight evidence for it, since there's no other evidence about the painting. This is quite intriguing for me, because I think I came to this conversation wondering, is this painting the real influence or inspiration behind the novel that became Mrs. Dalloway? You know, why would Vanessa Bell be be creating a painting that was then known as Mrs. Dalloway's party? Is it possible that it was Vanessa's idea initially to resurrect a character that Wolf had had in her fiction for some time. Uh, Mrs. Dalloway first appears in The Voyage Out. But the way that you've framed this, Howard, presents a new mystery, which is really exciting as well, which is what happened to the painting and why was it hidden away? Virginia Woolf doesn't have an attic in Monk's house, but That's it right. must have been hidden in an attic or some some holding space. And we have to ask ourselves, Considering it's, I think, in my opinion, one of Bell's finest works, and I think pictures, including people, are always compelling. So it seems surprising that this picture, of all pictures, should be hidden away. Well, my theory explains why the painting, was, was, which was painted in 1920, was exhibited only in 1922. And that is that she had saved the painting as a gift to Virginia for her 40th birthday, which is a very important birthday. And there's a gap. Vanessa was was riding high with her art. She was meeting in Paris with Picasso and with the Berenssons in Italy. She was being accepted by all the leading painters of that time. And Virginia was feeling that she was a failure at 40, even though she was had published two books already and written a third. And she writes that Vanessa came 
before her 40th and after her 40th, but nothing about her birthday, no present, no comment. But Virginia puts in a significant note. She says, our relationship has changed so much that it's as if she came and there was no trace of her coming. That led me to suspect that the painting was given to her and it was a traumatic event because she she felt that Vanessa was taking over her story. She had a story in mind because she wrote not only Mrs. Dalloway in 1915 in The Voyage Out, but five other stories she had Mrs. Dalloway. So she was building up to writing Mrs. Dalloway and here her sister comes in with a story already painted and I think it was very traumatic for her. And she got very upset. And in my play, she has amnesia. And uh, Leonard, who's very protective of her, hides the painting because the painting was so disturbing to Virginia. And I think there's some slight evidence for that, but it's the only possible explanation of why the painting disappeared and why no one mentioned it since it was in two leading magazines with an illustration and high praise. The most was a Vogue magazine, but no one says anything about it. That's my theory. How strange to have a painting in Vogue magazine and to be so successful and then to hide it away. And of course, Virginia Woolf herself is in Vogue magazine (laughs) at some point, so they get their respective (laughs) time in the spotlight. But I wonder... Regina, can we be pretty confident that Wolf saw the painting? Or is there still a little bit of uncertainty around that? I wish we could say that we knew absolutely. What we know is that um, Dauphé Gallery described the provenance as, as Quentin Bell. And that the story that I think it was Caroline Cuthbert, who was then working at Dauphé, who helped you with this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the story that came down was was that it was, quote, found in the attic at Monk's house. As you say, there's no attic at Monk's house. There was probably storage over the garage where they now have a living space that uh, the National Trust rents out. So I think that it is possible that that's the storage referred to. It's interesting, uh, Howard and I have gone back and forth about this. As a very messy person, I can I can imagine receiving a special painting and and having it slowly getting covered with other things and uh, and not appearing on my walls for uh, for many years, perhaps forever. But on the other hand, it is tantalizing. It's absolutely tantalizing to wonder, you know, there were other works by Vanessa on the walls at Monk's house. Why not this one? Yes, and I suppose the other adding to that mystery is the fact that. After Wolf's death, Leonard ends up in a relationship with a painter who likely changed what was on the walls anyway and put up her own work and and maybe moved the painting out of view if it was on view to begin with. So it's impossible to really tell. And we know for sure that Leonard accommodated Trekkie's painting because Virginia's writing hut at the back of the garden at Monk's house was expanded to become a painting studio for her. So we know that that was important for her. It's interesting. As I say, it's it's tantalizing. Regina, yeah. ra- around the time you met Howard and his wife, you were working on 
an absolutely fantastic book. It became a, a bestseller called Bloomsbury Pie, which charted the phenomenal rise of the Bloomsbury Group. It's sort of a second rise in the later half of the 20th century. You did a, a brilliant job of explaining all of the various factors that went into that, partly Michael Holroyd's biography, uh, partly Anthony Defane and his work and so on. I wonder, the fact that we're poring over the details of this particular painting and pulling it apart and worrying over old bones, so to speak, does that mean that the Bloomsbury revival is still going strong or do you think it's sort of over, it's, it's coming to a close? It's very interesting. Every few years, I think, oh, it's it's really tapped out now, you know, in the absence of new archival discoveries, you know, dramatic new archival discoveries. It's, you know, it's tapped out. It's going to change now and become more of a specialty interest. But I don't think that's true. I think that I think it continues to some extent and it it does change. Obviously, there are fewer articles now that begin with describing, you know, what the Bloomsbury Group is and and who is a, a member of it, because it has been, you know, more generally understood. And you still see a lot, but less of a kind of knee-jerk anti-Bloomsbury feeling that was prominent, especially in the UK. You see a little less of that because a lot of the foundation of that was homophobic. And now, you're just not likely to see things critiqued on, you know, because of who someone slept with is just it's not happening. And Wolf, especially, is bigger than ever, as she should be, dare I say. Yes. There's more and more about Virginia Wolf coming out all the time. Cambridge has done a series of podcasts, and of course, your podcast itself. It's as if the Virginia Wolf and Bloomsbury are having a a surge lately of interest and likely to expand even further. And your play will contribute to that interest and hopefully build on it in some way. Do you know where it will be available, where our listeners can find it? The plan is to put it on YouTube so it'll be available to the public without charge. Well, I'm really, really excited about seeing that. It's been decades in the making, a century really in the making <laughs> by this stage, if we consider the painting as well. Howard and Regina, thank you so very much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Karina. It's been wonderful. I really appreciate it. And I yeah. love the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Karina. Thank you for listening. The Virginia Wolf podcast was produced by Alistair Elphick. The music was Three Pieces for Piano by Nadia Boulanger and performed by Ellie Welsh. And if you're interested in lectures on literature and the arts, then do head over to literaturecambridge.co.uk.